This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it's time for Grief Belief. And today, Allison is going to lead us. And Allison, tell us, we're going to do something a little bit different than we have for the last six months. Yes. Um, we've talked a lot about grief when someone has died, which is the grief that everybody recognizes that you grieve after you lose someone you love. That's a very known grief. And um, so there's an acceptance that after such an event, someone will grieve. The thing that is less known and less talked about and less um, has less sort of resources attached to it is the more intangible things. So the thing I want to talk a lot about today is caregiving, being a caregiver and being a person being cared for, because there's grief on both sides of those. But there are other kinds of grief. There is the person, my husband died of cancer. I had friends whose husbands lived, but there's still grief because they lived through a traumatic experience. Um, and so they are forever afraid the grief of a child being born with disabilities or on the autism spectrum, a child realizing that maybe they're gay. And there's a, a wanting from the community to support those people. And yet there's also grief. So how I'm going to do today is pulling up some of the research that I've done on these topics and then throwing it out to the panel for additional thoughts, insights, resources on what we're talking about. So the first article that I'm going to pull from is Time Magazine, July 15th, 2023. So this just came out. And it's what America's aging population means for family caregivers like me. Stats. 54 million Americans care for aging relatives today. By 2030, 24 million people will require long-term care. And 80% of American seniors want to stay home for as long as possible. What do you guys think about those stats? They're only going to be growing. As time goes on, it's just going to grow. And how do we, as a community, as a society, as an individual, learn to cope with it, be there for those? Because we certainly know that it's no longer, um, there's not that caregiver in the house like there used to be. It now becomes, whether you call it a burden or joy, I found it a joy to care for both of my parents, it's still something that's out of the ordinary and that we are not trained or accustomed to doing. And there's a lot to be learned. Well, and what happens when we can't do it for whatever reason? Who's going to then step in and do it? I know one of the things that uh, maybe I have grieved over in advance is telling my boys that, you know, I don't want them to ship me off to a nursing home. Um, I want to be at home, except 
neither one of them lived near my home. So what do you do then? And that raises the issue of how do you pay for all of that? Because many of us are ill-prepared for that. And um, that's another form of loss, that loss of financial security, not only for themselves, you know, for a spouse, and then also for very often, even with uh, people with special needs, that other people they must take care of. So it, it just has this cascade of potential um, losses and a, a feeling of, um, of loss of security. It elicits so many different emotions because those that can't take care of somebody else, they feel they could feel inadequate. They could be angry. They could be resentful. They take it out on those that can. Um, there's a lot of sibling rivalry going on because maybe one is a better caregiver than the other. So there's envy or they don't live in the same state. I mean, it's just it's a Pandora's box almost of uh, what's going on and how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And even when um, you do have a situation where you're able to care for that uh, family member, loved one, oftentimes you feel so inadequate and then you have all those feelings of regret and guilt and, you know, I just didn't do enough. I didn't, I couldn't do it right. I, you know, and so you're left with all that and, and that can happen during and throughout the whole time of caring for them and then afterwards as well. And again, Absolutely. resentful possibly that you are the one now of all the in the family that has this responsibility and not one that you really are prepared to take on. And it, it's more or less dumped on you, whether it's there because you're the most capable or because you uh, have the flexibility or you're in town. So that it's um, it's a real interesting dynamic for the whole family and nobody reacts on the same page at the same time. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. A lot of the reactions are different. So for example, I am, my husband uh, left me over 500 paintings when he died. He also left me his mother and his mother turned a hundred in May. Another stat that I came across is 42% uh, of caregivers say that they've been providing care for two to five years, while 27% of caregivers have been providing care for five to 10 years. Wow. I've now been providing care for almost seven years. So it's a, it's a long-term commitment with not necessarily a known end in sight. How do you care for yourself being a caregiver? Well, that that is a really, really good question because um, caregiver self-care is a big issue. It's really common to hear, but I'm the one who's old, or I'm the one who's ill, or I'm the one who's, and yet the caregiver is the one holding the whole ship together. So a couple of the resources that were presented in this Time article, there are places where community has fallen through the cracks in terms of caring for people. And one of the things that Karen brought up and that we're going to be providing is some resources for people with our show. And so one of the things that I pulled together is some resources on caregiving for this show. But one of the resources has been uh, religious groups, churches, synagogues, mosques. 
religious communities have taken up the mantle of some of this care in community that used to be just normal. And it's There's... not just related to a specific religion, even though it's a religious group doing it, they offer to all religions and sectors of that community, which is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. And so so that that takes up some of the um, missing piece of being in a community, a family unit that would care for everyone in the family. There are some new resources. Technology is a new possibility. So I have a friend who was caring for his mom and set up with her permission cameras in the home so that if she fell, he could see and could, you know, rush over there or whatever. I have a med alert. So if my mother-in-law falls down, she can hit the alert and she, they'll talk to her and say, are you okay? Now, there is, there is a problem with this in that she doesn't understand she needs to answer. Yeah. <laughs> so the EMTs rush over there anyway, even when she's fine. But I would rather have them rush over there. But for her, it seems like this amorphous voice in the air. <laughs> and there's resentment, the anger of somebody who is now reliant upon this for yep. care. Um, and they do see their twilight of their life and they're scared. Many people react in many different ways. So I, this is multifaceted, very multifaceted. Exactly. So it's important to know what are the resources in the community, but they're not always pulled together uh, in very cohesive ways. There are resources and there are gaps. But one of the gaps is that people don't really know where to go to find what they need. Um, people also don't want to share. I don't know if you've run across that. But it's like, well, I found this and I really need this for my family. And if I tell too many people, guess what? I may not get the services that I need. Um, and we found that when um, my son was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, it was like, where do we go for help? Because the doctor would say, in between your visits here, reach out in the community. And mm -hmm. it was like, where in the community. And sadly, a lot of doctors don't even know what's available for, for their patients. I see you saying, yes, Candace, you understand that. Totally. Well, because, you know, their job is to do the, the medical part. And I do some pro bono work for a nonprofit organization that deals with a particular population. And it was founded by a social worker who had two parents with the same um, condition. And she said, even with all of her training, she didn't have the wherewithal to put it together, you know, the specific thing that needed to uh, be together, um, so that the, the caregiver wasn't trying to, you know, um, piece it. And so she founded a nonprofit organization to provide these services for families with this particular uh, diagnosis um, to, to fill that void. But it's still, I mean, it, it's been around for 20 plus years, but many people still don't know of it. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
So in my experience as a as a caregiver, as a family caregiver, there are um, practical and physical things. So there's take um, take her to the doctor or the dentist. There's uh, go to the bank to get money to pay the people who help me care for her. There's get groceries. There's call the management to take care of the roaches, which have increased again. You know, so there's the practical things. There's clean out the commode when I go. Make sure she's had a meal. And then there's the emotional piece, right? So they're kind of the two pieces. So I walked in uh, last week and she said, I think today I'm going to die. And, and that knocks you back. And so then it's hard to know what to do, honestly, in the face. I think today I'm going to die. Because do you comfort? You don't want to invalidate that that is the experience. But what do you do? Um, and it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And there's always a sense as a caregiver, this grief that I'm not doing enough. I mean, I do a huge amount for my mother-in-law, but I'm always feeling guilty and sad that maybe I could do something more. And then there's what's valuable. As a caregiver, as someone being cared for, there is a way in which my taking the time just to be with her is more valuable than cleaning the commode some days. What do you guys think about, you, you ladies think about all of that, the emotional and the practical aspects of caregiving and being cared for? Well, I get to see a lot of it in my day job, so to speak. And um, while there are resources, as we already pointed out, many of them are not known. They're not always accessible. And not everybody is equipped to navigate that path, um, you know, because they may be, um, they may not have those. I mean, I, I know how to find things out, all right, readily. And they don't necessarily have those skills. And so, you know, we have a whole spectrum of people in various states of cope, so to speak. And, you know, I, I think just raising the topic is important because I think there's a lot of emotional stuffing, all of that stuff that, we, you know, we're, we feel obligated, you have to do it, there's no one else to do it. Um, you don't necessarily want to do it. Other people are commenting on how you do it. And um, it's it's just something that has to be acknowledged that it's it goes with the territory. I feel like you know how when we're raising children, people say it takes a village. Yeah. Well, that's what I feel like in this situation as well. It's just when we're in this place where we're caregiving, it just takes a village. It takes so many people and um, different services to just help us be able to do the best that we're able to. Um, and and resources are so important, and I most people don't know what's available, uh, or how to find out what's available. And the resources that are out there, a lot of them are overwhelmed themselves because 
just like mm -hmm. the statistics you read, it's increasing. And we know that there's a work shortage. So how do you find that? And how do you find those individuals that will care for someone the way you would like them to care for someone and then to have that individual who's being cared for accept them? And we know in many, many, many cases, the one being cared for is rejecting it. The yep. anger, the frustration, um, it's, it's one more nail excuse the expression in the coffin to them. And they do see the twilight of their life in front of them. And that's very frightening. And how do you walk through that with them in such a manner that it works? You hear their fear, you address their fear, but you also encourage them to accept the help that you're trying to provide for them. And that's a real fine line. That's a very fine line. And, and how do you get the rest denial about it? Yes. Yes. You know, I, I don't need any help. I can drive. All yeah. Of... As they fall down the stairs or as they, you know, right. Or you come in and they've soiled themselves and they're, no, 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 I'm fine. Um, all the things that you go through and, and then you get frustrated. And so how do you tether that anger that you're going through? I can only say from my own experiences that, I wish I could go back and redo a lot of things with my mother-in-law because she's the first one that I literally cared for. Yep. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned from my mistakes going forward with her. And I think that towards the end, we were able to work much more cohesively together. But I did get frustrated with her. And why aren't you wearing these socks that have the rubber on the bottom of them so you don't slip and fall? and your feet are cold, why can't you wear these? You get up and you fall, she ended up breaking her hip. And, and again, you're frustrated. Um, so why aren't you listening to what I'm telling you to do? Well, that's not the approach to take. But I found out the hard way, but I was yep. frustrated. I was angry. I was frightened. I wanted to protect her. I wanted to wrap myself around her. And yet you need to give them their space and their dignity. So how do you balance all of that? And it doesn't come easily because you're dealing with all of your own emotions too. No, yeah, doesn't. I think that's, yeah, Christika. You, you brought up parents with, Parent. with children with special needs. And I don't think our community totally understands what the parents go through. Because right from day one, you start projecting the day I'm not going to be here. And so you start grieving right then, oh my God, if I'm not here. Yep. And I know for the first five years after my son was diagnosed, my husband and I didn't see one friend. The only people we saw was my mother-in-law and my parents when we went up to visit. And yep. we didn't know where to go for the resources. When people told us, we could go to the board of mental health. I said, but he's not mentally ill. And they said, but there are resources there for you. It took that long. But then when he, we even got him those resources, we felt guilty. You know, mm -hmm. were we trying to tell him he was, wasn't smart enough, wasn't capable enough. And so, you know, Chrissy, going back to your point, it takes a village. 
It does. And it takes all of us not to point fingers. And we certainly do that a lot. Yep. I was just going to say um, that also when we're going through something like this, most of the time we don't have any prep time beforehand. It's not like we know to go find resources because this is going to happen. So we're thrown into this um, probably anticipatory grief or um, grieving what was normal and what no longer is at the same time, trying to figure out what do I do now? You know, how do we manage what's happening now that whatever the life event happens to be um, has happened? What, what do we do? And so you're not only um, have this event happen, you're also scrambling in the midst of the event to try to find um, the resources that you need or the help that you need. And also being scared, being overwhelmed, um, just grieving at the same, all of this at once. It's so much, it's just a big, huge ball of mess that you've got to try to untangle and figure out. And it's uh, just overwhelming. And maybe also juggling your own life and your normal, your life as it was has lost its normalcy. And yeah. how do you balance that with the life that you were leading? Whether it's with the family, whether it's work, whether, whatever it, it is. And how do you balance all this and take care of yourself yeah. on top of it too? Candace? Well, I said, and I imagine in many instances, people don't even recognize that they're suffering from grief. And, um, you know, that mm -hmm. there are ways to deal with that aspect, but who has time to do it? So just bringing, you know, raising the awareness around um, it's natural and normal and um, not to beat ourselves up about it. Well, exactly. And I think that there's this kind of tipping point with the person being cared for and the caregiver and, and this push-pull with the autonomy and the care. So the caregiver needs to take care of themselves if they're going to care for anybody. And yet sometimes it, it comes to a point where everything sort of falls apart before that's allowed to happen. So I found a, a much less expensive person to help care for uh, my mother-in-law and she threw them out of the house. And then everything fell apart. And then eventually I was able to convince her that we needed help. But by that time, I was almost breaking. So there's kind of a push-pull and the caregiver can feel guilty that they actually need care to be able to care. And there's a, there's a grief in that because we want to provide for those we love. And yet... It's not simple. Um, what I want to do is I want to read an article that was in uh, AARP of someone whose uh, husband was uh, blown up in a war and came back and had PTSD and trauma, physical symptoms, and eventually came back. But this is what she said. I'd always thought of loss as something black and white, something absolute, but there was no simple name for what I felt. Complicated grief, ambiguous loss, 
a therapist helped me realize that I joined a quiet club of people grieving in the shadows, parents with disabled children, caregivers of loved ones with illness or injury, or the addicted child, the death of a thousand dreams. There seems to be no room in our culture for the half light of that in-between place. Loss that falls short of death is complicated. It sure feels like loss, but it isn't always defined as one. Fear mingles with gratitude. Panic overwhelms relief. But to move forward, I needed to mourn the outlines of the old us, the parts that now fit together differently. That proved difficult in a world so defined by absolutes, alive or dead, grateful or mournful, before or after. The trick was to learn to live in the challenging spaces, to hold fast during the unexpected moments when profound sorrow engulfed me, and to balance those with the reminders of what was good and possible and real. What do you think about that? That really moved me. That was beautiful. Very poignant. True. Very true. Very well written and right to the point. Very true. But I think it really illustrates how important for us all, just as a society, as individuals in the community, um, and so on, just, you know, dealing with others in our life, maybe somebody behind the checkout counter or something, that um, we need to have that humanity so that we can recognize those, it's not black and white. We There's so much of that black and whiteness that um, we tend to live our lives with that um, to maybe, this is kind of ideal, uh, to raise our awareness around this um, whole topic. That old crash moment from the movie Crash, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. And take that step back. You know, um, I know I mentioned this before, but the one thing my kids, when they were growing up, I, when they would come to me with an issue, it would always be, okay, but how does the other person feel about it? What's going on in their life? Now, sometimes that came back to backfire when I was asking that question. But in reality, isn't that what it really is? And how do we communicate so others know that there is something going on in our lives that maybe we just need a hug or maybe we just need a moment or maybe we need to be left alone or maybe we need to know that there really is some support out there. And we're, uh, we've been raised not to communicate. Mm -hmm. How do we open up the doors and start communicating in a healthy, helpful manner I mean, this podcast is obviously a step in that direction. We're all trying to do that. Um, how do we spread the word? How do we get others to do that and empower people to understand that it is incumbent upon us as individuals to communicate? Well, and I think that from the from the same standpoint, whether it's the caregiver or the person who needs care to not be afraid of asking for help. I know when I had my accident, I just kept thinking, my husband doesn't know how to care for me. So I'm in the hospital. So I'm going to rehab. And 
I better be okay when I get out of rehab because he can say all he wants, honey, what can I do for you? But if I ask him to do something that he's not comfortable with, whatever that could be, it doesn't get done. And we had to have a conversation two nights before I came home. And I said, I know I can do this. But I gave him a list of about 10 things that I could not do on my own. And I wrote it out for him. He, and he put it by his bedside so that he knew it was a reminder. But that was difficult for me, even asking my own mm -hmm. husband. That's so powerful because that, and that clarity was probably a, a big comfort to him to, to know, okay, now I, I do actually know what you need from me. Um, a lot of times I, I get pretty angry at, at my mother-in-law's friends. So I'll get a text. She hasn't eaten in three days when I know I was there that morning and gave her breakfast. And I know Mary was there that afternoon and gave her lunch. And I know that she has dementia in and out and may not remember that she ate. And so her friends accusing me of not taking care of her is infuriating to me. Um, the last thing that I'd like to do is just talk about, there was a, a, a piece in CancerNet, Understanding Grief Within a Cultural Context. And this goes back to what you were talking about, Karen, about the support that cultures and religious organizations and spiritual organizations can provide for us as a kind of extended family in a way. And so it, it talks about how rituals and customs of cultures can help us with these experiences because they look at how do people care for people as they approach death and different cultures might have different rules. So I had a friend who was sitting Shiva and I am not Jewish. I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know what to bring. And I went anyway, because I was intent on being there to support, even if I got some of the other things wrong. Um, how a person's body is handled after death. There are all kinds of ways to deal with is the person going to be buried? Is there a funeral, a memorial service? Is it a cremation? There are all kinds of ways to deal with the body of a person who has gone. Um, how is grief expressed? Quietly or loudly? There are cultures where you wail and you rip your clothes. And that is the right way to behave. In my little wasp culture, that is not the right way to behave. It's not to say that it's the wrong way though. But when we don't know what other people's cultural traditions are, sometimes we might judge them. And I'm speaking for myself as well, because they're behaving in a way that I don't recognize as the 
proper way to grieve. And I don't think that there is a proper way to grieve. Um, do people of different genders or ages grieve differently? What kind of rituals do people perform? How long are you expected to grieve? Depending on where you are in the family. If it's a spouse, if it's a sibling, if it's a child, if it's a relative. How are the deceased honored in the lifetime of the family? And what new roles is the family expected to take on? So I kind of want to close out with a few questions to sort of ask someone who's grieving who may not be of a cultural tradition that's yours. What emotions and behaviors are normal grief responses within the person's own culture? What are the bereaved family's beliefs supporting surrounding death? Who should attend mourning ceremonies? Like some, some people choose not to allow children to come to funerals. And how are attendees expected to dress and act? Are gifts, flowers, or other offerings expected? What special days or dates would be significant? And what types of verbal or written condolence are expressed? So these are the questions if someone's died, but I think that these are also the questions you could ask if someone gets a cancer diagnosis. How, are, how do you communicate? How do you support? What do you do? Um, what are your, do you, are there additional questions you would add? Do you think this is a pretty good set of questions to be asking? It's a very good starting point and it's inclusive. Then anyone from there can expound on it based on either their personal desire or their personal needs or their own questions moving forward. And the internet is a beautiful resource right now, especially if you're dealing with a loss and what the different rituals and cultures are and how they encompass that. So you, you can walk into it with a little bit of knowledge. Um, I would also think that there would be a number of friends that you could hopefully reach out to and ask them what their thoughts are and how to move forward with it and to deal with it. But to me, one of the most important aspects of it and how do you relate to them and reach out to them after, after the loss and let them know that you are there, not just for the moment, not just for next week, but you are there three years down the road, 10 years down the road. And how do you communicate that to them? Yeah. Grief doesn't end with a funeral or grief doesn't end with the end of Shiva or the end of the bereavement days. It continues on for everyone everyone who is part of this circle. Yeah. I'm reminded of a conversation I had just yesterday, actually, with a friend of mine, and he was calling me about some other issue, but it, our spouses died around the same time, and, you know, we, we have that in common, among other things. 
And he said that he mentioned that I was surprised that he remembered my husband's name because we're not that kind of close friends. And I commented on it, how kind he was to remember it. And he said, well, I remember it because it was close to when my wife died and he mentioned his wife's name. And then we talked about, you know, how other people react to it and so on. And um, I'll try to be brief, but in essence, he said he had a client who died and he would call and she was a friend and he would call her on a regular basis and she would never return his calls. And she was from a different culture and so on. Um, and so finally, he let it go. It was several months that he persisted, just trying to reach out to her. And then when her, this was before his wife died, and then when she heard that his wife died, she called him regularly. And he was surprised. He expressed his surprise because he hadn't heard from her. And she said, I remember how thoughtful you were, and I wanted to um, reciprocate. And I just thought it was a, a beautiful gift in both directions. But, you know, who knows if she um, didn't want to respond, couldn't respond, et cetera, but somehow there was an acknowledgement on both sides, so. That is beautiful. And I recall when people were calling, reaching out to me and, and I re remember saying to them, I hope you will be there when I'm ready. Yeah. I hope you will be there when I reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful, but a good lesson to all of us that even if the individual doesn't respond, don't stop. Maybe yep. it does have a real gut level basis and meaning to them and just let them know you're thinking of them. There's a beauty to that in and of itself to know that you're being thought of. Yeah, I really see it as a, a tethering to life. Just a tethering to life, a, a reaching out to say, hi, you matter. So my my friend who's husband who was an actor who died in in um march uh i reach out and i will send her a funny picture of there's this otter who's stealing surfboards so i might send her a the otter stealing surfboards or um a little tiny story from my own life or because I don't always want to be talking about the gaping hole in her life. I want to be a, a friend and a remembrance of her husband, but I also want to be there because she is alive and he is not alive. And in some way, that rope back to life really matters across the months and years. And it's an expression of your values. Mm -hmm. You know, go back to the golden rule, do unto others. You should do unto yourself. I'm sure yep. so many great points today that, I don't know, I'm sitting here just thinking of people that, you know, I haven't reached out to in a while. Um, and all it takes is for us to just be aware, you know, who mm -hmm. would we like to hear from and then send that note, make that phone call. Um, I know send that text. Yep. 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 So what would we want? Let's give it back. 
Yeah, I, I pulled together, um, I know we're coming to the end of our podcast, but I pulled together a bunch of different resources. So those are going to be attached to the show notes. Absolutely. So that you can, you will know where there are resources. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a start. I'd like to add some. Okay. Because in my day job, I run across those resources. So as any of you come up with more, we'll just keep adding it back. So to our listeners, you may want to come back and look at the show notes again. Um, You know, this has been an experience that I needed a year ago. And I'm so grateful for the four of you being part of it um, because it makes us better people just because we're aware. And um, I wanna wish you a good vacation, Allison. You're not gonna be with us next month. (laughs) So enjoy your time, okay? Thank Um, you. And- uh, Is that called taking care of yourself? Yeah. It is. <laughs> that is wonderful. Um, and we'll miss you, but we'll see you in September. And I think that's the name of the song. And But I'm not going to sing it for you guys. But I want to thank you all again for being with us. And for those of you listening, besides the resources, the email addresses of our coaches are all in the show notes. So please feel free, reach out. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Thank you.